Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, uh, I'm honored to welcome a senior fellow of the Discovery Institute, a former fellow of the Hoover Institution, a man who has written hundreds of articles published in such journals as the Wall Street Journal, New York Post, Chicago Tribune, USA Today, and others. He has a bachelor's and master's degree from the University of Chicago, as well as his doctorate from Boston University. But before he tackled those academic endeavors, he backpacked through parts of nearly 50 countries to see firsthand how things are in other places. He is an author of three great books, including his latest, Rediscovering America. Welcome to the program, Scott Powell. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and it's really a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, sir. Well, I sought out this opportunity to talk with you because I wanted to ask you about and let Core Principles listeners hear about a fascinating, important topic you wrote about this week for Town Hall. Your article is called Elite Capture what it is and how it threatens America's future. And that sounds to me like a vital, timely topic. And I confess, I had not come across the term elite capture before reading your article. So I wanted to ask you first, could you give us an introduction or a primer to what elite capture is? Well, probably the best place to start out with that introduction would be to remind everyone that, um, America is a unique country in the world and it was born out of the people. It was not born really out of the elites, uh, although one could argue that the, you know, that the founding fathers were wealthier than the average person in America. They nonetheless had this vision of the people and they formed the principles of the country and the declaration and the constitution that was formed all went back to the average person, the people, that, that we'd be a country of the people, by the people, and for the people, not a country of the elites, by the elites, and for the elites, which is really what we've become. I think everyone can see it now that the government really takes care, it's an elite agenda, it takes care of the elites. Yes, it provides welfare for the poor and so forth, but more and more we've seen this uh, drifting away, movement away from the founding principles of our country. And I'd remind people, particularly in this season, before this uh, next election, that, uh, you know, we're an incredible country. We're the only country in the, in the history of mankind that was founded on ideas and principles rather than on blood lineage, uh, the spoils of war, uh, you know, ethnic groups, religious groups, and so forth. We're, we're a country that was found really on uh, was born, if you will, on the ideas of, of freedom, opportunity, uh, equal value of all people. So America is just an incredible, has an incredible uh, background and compared with other nations, we're still that shining city on a hill. At least the founding principles are, we've drifted away a bit. So the, the government that was formed was founded on, on a recognition that people are flawed, uh, that you know, power can easily be abused. And so they set out to, to create a system of checks and balances 
to mitigate corruption. And we know that it doesn't involve just three branches, you know, legislative, executive, and judiciary, but it also involves uh, tension and competition between the states and the federal government. And the founders also spoke very openly about the importance of the role of the free press, that the press would also be a mitigating force for corruption. That the, the press, in fact, they had they viewed the press as being aggressively pursuing scandal uh, and corruption in government. That it would it would check corruption of government. So we've we've seen things drift way far away from that. The, the press no longer sees its role of ferreting out corruption in government, but rather carrying out the you know the agenda the, the messaging of government right i mean it's pretty obvious that the that the press is no longer doing that that, that simple job so tying this back to elite capture we're a country of the people uh, not the elites but of the people so elite capture uh is really anathema to america and also the characteristics of elite chapter of elite capture involved you know they, they involved elements of corruption in almost every case. It's a, it's a hidden agenda. It's a surreptitious effort to, for, the, for the elite to get influence over and control over other people. That's, that has coercion involved, even if it's subliminal and it may take a while to capture a party, you nonetheless are starting out with a non-controlling position and working to bring others under your control. In other words, you're, you want to use those people for your agenda. That so, is fascinating. So the, the elite capture is best, most easily seen. It can be seen in many places. It's, it's not something that's just unique to one form of government or society, but clearly the communists uh, have been involved in elite capture right from the very beginning. I mean, it was Lenin who coined the term useful idiots, that the revolution, while we, the vanguard, Lenin coined also the phrase of the vanguard, that the elite vanguard would lead the revolution, but it would be facilitated by the useful idiots that will go along with their radical agenda. That is scary as well. We saw what happened, all the people that they murdered just got in their way. Right. Uh, in a non-communist sense, we can see elite capture with, um, well, let's, let's talk about something that's very recent. We went through a COVID-19 so-called pandemic, and what did we find? We found that the bureaucracies that manage our health uh, over, we know they had already had in place a sort of capture uh, of the, you know, the, the administration of health, the way doctors think. Pharmaceutical companies have captured the regulatory agencies, be it the FDA, the CDC. So we have these elite governmental institutions capturing the, the, the gatekeepers, if you will, the regulatory bodies that are supposed to be regulating healthcare and new, new drugs for the benefit of the people. And, and they have requirements for this. The FDA had requirements for all new, all new drugs to go through a rigorous process, uh, primarily to test for safety, a use, use with people with no harmful effects. 
or with minimal and then defined for harmful effects. Well, we know that the, uh, the vaccine regime was rushed through with no such testing. And yet, yet the regulatory agencies, the CDCs and others, really promoted it as, you know, as just another vaccine that, you know, would be helpful to people, that it would actually block the spreading of COVID. We've learned that that's not true. But we've also learned that the vac vaccines have a lot of harmful effects, which should have been revealed through extensive testing. But because of the environment we were in, it was rushed through, it was brought out. And we also know that uh, we'll have to find out whether this was an agenda because the pandemic, if it was launched to disrupt our society and open the door to closing the economy down, putting fear in people so they'd be afraid to go to the voting places and open the door to a radical change of our voting habits, our voting way, opening up, enlarging mail-in ballots, ballot harvesting, and we know that was part of the problems of the 2020 election. Was that planned? Well, we don't, we don't know, but these are facts and people can come to their own conclusions about those. So elite capture has operated in our you know, certainly in our society. So, but the threat to us now really is, is China. China is the greatest threat in the world and they have mastered elite capture perhaps more than any other, uh, any other society, any other power force uh, in the history of mankind. So I want to dive into some aspects of that very rich answer and overview. But as I was listening to some of the things that you were telling about the way that they try to do these, I was picturing Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum and what they call themselves their idea of the Great Reset. And whether or not things like the pandemic and the vaccination uh, passports and mandates were planned and purposeful in any way, they got the results from them that we would recognize as those worst things that they've said they want to do. Yes. That's unfortunate. Yes. Before we dive into some of the specifics about that, I want to get one more term that you use. Uh, you talk about China's Belt and Road Initiative. A lot of us are unfamiliar with what that means in context. Could you explain that? Well, uh, make no mistake, uh, communist China wants to take, wants to control the world. They want to supplant the United States as the, uh, as the remaining superpower in the world. And of course, in most of our history of being uh, a, a superpower, we, America was a fairly benevolent force in the world. It was a force for justice and righteousness as well in standing up to Nazi Germany uh, in coming to the rescue of, of Europe in, in World War I. Um, but uh, so America has this background. Uh, China really is a rising power and it, it seeks to supplant the United States as the world superpower. And they've been working at it. The Belt and Road Initiative is an important part of their strategy to get influence uh, throughout the world, particularly in the so-called developing countries. So the targets would be, would be Africa, to a lesser extent, South and Latin America. Uh, and what they do is the Chinese 
begin to develop relationships with governments and they they sell themselves on being able to help them with major uh, public works projects. It could be building roads. That's why, you know, the belt, the belt, the roads. Uh, they build ports. They're very good at ports. They, the Chinese actually control and manage the Panama Canal ports on both sides, which should be an alarm to us. But, but it's been in place for a long time. Actually, that was probably the very beginning of it. And the beginning example of the Belt and Road was their capture, if you will, of the, uh, of the terminals uh, that control the Panama Canal. So they, 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 they want to get influence in countries uh, and that, that will, that will uh, make these countries dependent upon the Chinese. The Chinese come in to build things. They then have to run things because they know how it works, right? particularly with ports, airports, and so forth. So they get a presence in these countries. But the deal is that the countries have to, the Chinese will offer to build these things with Chinese capital, which is oftentimes dollars. They're just recycling dollars they've collected from us through trade deficits. They they build things with their money uh, and the country has to pay it back. In other words, they're not giving it away. So this is how they capture these countries because oftentimes these countries end up not being able to pay back what they have borrowed to build these public works projects. So it's really been a masterful strategy of the Chinese uh, for building, for, for capturing countries, not just getting influence, but really capturing them but they are running into trouble. Some of the African countries have finally woken up and realized that China doesn't really have their, in, their, their best interests at heart, that they really want to control them and they don't want Chinese control. So uh, this is all playing out. It doesn't make the news here, so we don't really know, but if you make an effort to, to research this, you can find out some very interesting stories about pushback from Africa against the Chinese. The, the Africans, you know, we don't want to rule. We, we never want to discount Africa. It's always been an economic backwater. But one thing that's going on in Africa is there is a a spiritual uh, revolution going on there. And it has been for some time. You know, when you live in poverty, you are more predisposed to relying on God for help because you don't have anyone else to rely on. Whereas in affluent countries like like ours, when we accomplish great things and we build things, we, we, we say, well, we did that. We don't need God because we did it. So it, uh, in some ways, Africa is a very fertile ground for pushback to the Chinese because of the, the, the nature of the people. They, they don't want control, uh, an outside control. And, and the cultures are so different. I mean, China, it's like oil and water, I'm sure. The Chinese are very... They're very focused. They're very demanding. Uh, they're very patronizing. They're very racist. The Chinese are some of the most racist people in the world. They look down on black culture. So it, it's a recipe for disaster, frankly. And we'll see what happens over the next decade. We got to get through the next decade first, though. <laughs> well, I hope, Scott Powell, that we in America will learn from the continent of Africa and not only their spiritual awakening, but their resistance to outside control 
or what I would say in general, just leftist big government control. Um, but, you know, as you talk about the dangers that we should see with China's encroachment and they get as close as uh, the Panama Canal, they get even closer. I want to uh, quote from your article. You make a direct, unambiguous, easy to understand statement in your article that should alarm all of us Americans if we haven't already realized this. So by your leave, I'm going to quote this directly. The greatest elite capture by the Communist Chinese Party has been the Joe Biden family, which started at least as far back as 2013, when Hunter accompanied his father on a trip to China. Significant payments from China to the Biden family started a few years later, unquote. Scott Powell, how do we know, first of all, this important fact, and what can we do about it? Well, we know the backstory on that, of course, is that this information was discovered on the Hunter Biden, the missing Hunter Biden laptop, uh, which uh, got into the hands of, it, it was really the, the, uh, the owner of the repair shop when the computer was unclaimed. Uh, he, he, when you're working on a computer, you really have access to everything. And, and the, the computer repair shop owner saw very troubling things on that laptop, all manner of troubling things. And it wasn't, and, it, and he's, he's spoken further about it. This is now something that's more than two years old, but he said what alarmed him the most were the big, the, were the, was the, the discussions of big, big dollar amounts of business. You know, millions of dollars being talked about uh, going to Hunter Biden. And he knew that Hunter Biden is Joe Biden's son. You know, this is a local Delaware computer repair shop that knew who the Bidens were. And he was shocked and felt that it was, it needed, it, this information needed to get to the FBI. So yes, ultimately, ultimately he gave that computer to the FBI, telling them what he discovered on it and that this was a national security issue and what happened. The FBI sat on that information. The FBI did nothing with it. They did not well, we don't know, but they made no, there, there were no proceedings coming out of the FBI that would indicate that they were prepared to take on a national security risk of Chinese control of the Biden family. And we have indications, Scott Powell, that it may be a little worse and, and more insidious than that. It appears that some within the FBI have confided that there was a purposeful Yes. Uh, suppression of that information for the purpose of changing the outcome of the 2020 election. Yes, yes, you're so right. Now, it's important for everyone to understand that the FBI came into possession of this computer in December of uh, 2019. So they had the computer and all the information on it for, you know, 10 months before the election. That's a long time. They did... They did nothing with it. Uh, but at the same time, that information, and I can't remember how, how the information got to other parties, but Rudy Giuliani got a hold of the information and others got a hold of it. And they decided that we had to do something. If the F, you know, then they probably didn't know that the FBI had the computer. We don't, we, I, don't, I don't remember the details of that part of the story, whether the owner told Rudy Giuliani 
that, well, I've also termed the Soviet, probably Rudy knew that, there was a recognition that this information needed to get out to the public. And so uh, everything was vetted. They went to, to the New York Post. The New York Post ran a story in October documenting some of the high points of this corruption and the dollar amounts. It was then revealed to the public that the Biden family was corrupted by the Chinese. I mean, that's what you would infer by this, even if you just give an objective reporting of what happened, you know, uh, without inferring that it's corruption, the average reader is going to know, hey, there's something wrong here. But the New York Post has a New York audience only, really. I mean, just it has somewhat of a national audience. It was hoped that other reporters, other papers would pick it up. That didn't happen. Well, Twitter banned the New York Post right. and Facebook now, wouldn't let you copy and paste New York Post articles. It was that's incredible. Right. That's right. So the social media was hoped that it would go, you know, not only to other newspapers, but social media was a, is a very important part of our media now. And you're right. It was it was banned. It was taken down uh, by both Twitter and Facebook. Facebook took it down rather rapidly because the FBI approached Mark Zuckerberg and said, that were you know that there was vote fraud, there was Russian influence on our elections of 2016. Be aware that we are seeing signs that that's going to happen again. There's going to be a big, some some big effort. The FBI told Zuckerberg that, and Zuckerberg has shared that testimony. You probably have seen it. Uh, it's been replayed on media quite a bit. Uh, so Zuckerberg is is acknowledging that the FBI warned him to be on the lookout for a big story that had the earmarks of Russian disinformation. So, and we know that that's how they labeled the Hunter Biden letter, it's Russian disinformation. So Zuckerberg, basically you could say, well, he is exonerated because the FBI influenced him, told him to take that story down. And we know that the FBI knew that was never true. That's right. By that time, they knew they had to know. Yes. So, so we're, we, what we see in America is elite capture operating on many levels. The Chinese have an elite capture of the prized and most powerful position. You know, the 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 first family, if you will, the president of the United States. But we see elite capture operating where the you know where our government now is influencing and capturing the media. I mean, the, the media has actually been captured by the intelligence agencies for quite a long time. This is, it goes back decades, believe me. Well, as we near the close of the episode, Scott Powell, I want to point out how you mentioned some consequences in your article about elite capture that's on town hall. People can go look on town hall and see this. Some of the things that are shockingly now normalized in this nation. So the two part question I want to wrap up with uh, comes from this. You talk about how we now have a normalization of government censorship, which includes government saying, Hey, social media censor this stuff, as well as the normalization of what we call cancel culture and of unequal justice. And listeners, you can hear a lot more about this unequal justice on a core principles episode that's uh, from a few weeks back. But uh, two things I wanted to ask you, Scott, were what are the other problems that we should expect if we don't correct this problem that China is bringing? And how do we effectively counter this? 
Well, if we don't deal with this, uh, it is the end of America. It is the end of our country. I'm going to be really clear about this. The Chinese are very formidable. They've stated what their goals are. They have huge military power. Their Navy is now larger than the U.S. Navy. They have far more troops than we have. Now, they don't want to invade our country, but they want to control our country. And if we come under the total control of the Chinese, and we could argue that with the capture of the Biden family and with Joe Biden being in the, in the, you know, the president, they have captured. But we still have the American people and they're still going to vote. We can turn this around and we must because uh, it, it, you know, corruption, there's no good end to corruption. Corruption feeds on itself and it distorts society. So I would say to all the, you know, all the corporate people that have made their wealth through the market system, that you are crazy to embrace cancel culture. You're crazy to engage in censorship because you got to where you are by the competition of ideas, you know, and you know, as a business executive, that some ideas worked and some didn't work and that you're constantly fine tuning and, ref and refining your business model from input of information that's unfiltered and unbiased. The only way we get to the truth to run a business or to run a country is robust competition of ideas. Freedom of press is not freedom to say what people want to hear or what they don't, or you block what they don't want to hear, or you're offended by language that might be deemed inappropriate. Freedom of press is freedom of press. We give freedom of expression in its entirety. People can weed out what they don't like, what they don't want to listen to, but we rely on a robust interplay of ideas to bring out the best in our people, in our, in our government, in our, in our corporate life, in our economy. It's essential. And it is the freedom of ideas that also weeds out bad ideas and weeds out corruption. So when we block free speech and cancellation, we are inviting more corruption into our country. So when we wonder, well, how did this all happen that we become so corrupt? Well, this is the result. You're seeing a sneak preview of what is to come. It gets worse from here, not better, unless we correct what we see. And that also includes restoration of equal justice under the law. The justice system has got to be corrected. And you know, the media should be pushing for accountability at every level, including the Supreme Court. When the Supreme Court didn't take, doesn't take cases that they should, the media should be, uh, should, should be reporting on that. Um, so we have a lot of work to do, but I think the awakening that Americans are, go are going through now is greater and faster than any time I can remember in my many years of life. So I'm an optimist that what we see now is gonna keep going and who wins in the battle between truth and falsehood? Truth, truth wins, that's yes, right. Yes, sir, amen to that. So, and, and you know, God's still on his throne. <laughs> amen. And, and uh, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, he hasn't, in a way I think, since we moved away from God, 
you know, when the Israelites left God, their fortune changed dramatically for the worse. I mean, they lost Israel. They were they went into captivity in Babylon. So we're in a bit of a period of Babylonian captivity within the United States, but that's because we've allowed the really the the, the fostering of, of falsehood and evil, if you will. But we're pushing back now. The light is shining, and the light really casts out the darkness. So. Thank you for being a light and keep going. Well, thank you, Scott Powell. We've been discussing his latest article on Town Hall about elite capture. Readers uh, also should go get his book, uh, Rediscovering America. And uh, let, me, let me say a little note about the book. Yes, sir. Because it, you know, uh, I wrote this book for a purpose, and that was to, to help save our country because I was aware of the great stories behind our country. And through my work as an economist, I'm a trained economist, I have a PhD in economics, and I wrote on you know, economic issues for the Hoover Institution and then Discovery Institute. An editor of a newspaper said, you know, I, I need an article on this upcoming holiday. You know, we don't have anything for, for July 4th. Can you do that? Can you write that? And I said, yes, I can do that. And when I do dove into the research behind July 4th, I found all these fascinating stories that I never learned in school. And I, you know, I submitted the article. It was very well received. It, it, it sort of went somewhat viral in the world of newspapers, and because uh, it was republished a lot. And I said, "Well, gee, this was this was fun, more interesting than economics. Why don't I write on another holiday?" So, so I just volunteered. You know, I just chose a few holidays each year, and after the course of four or five years, I'd written on all the American holidays. Then my reader said, "You've got to write the book." That was like in 2017, and you know, I was busy trying to put food on the table. And I said, well, I'm not sure that I can do that. Or I don't know if there's a market for it. So, but I had a, a call in late 2019 to do this book. I answered that call and started writing. And I was just amazed at, you know, I, I mean, I, I have to give the credit to God that he helped me put it all together. But I was guided to write a short book that's very readable. It's extraordinarily readable. It's not like a you know, a long history book that it, 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 and it's not just about who, what, when, and where in sequential order with all in historical information sort of equalized. I choose, because I've chosen the holidays, I choose to talk about and focus on and go in depth on the key transitional periods of American history where the quality of character of the leaders of that period made all the difference. So it's a story about character. Some people said it's a great self-help book because I learned how greatness is achieved because it's all there in your book. <laughs> if I could practice, you know, what, you know, you know, what Thomas Jefferson and Washington and, you know, Martin Luther King and so many of the other great period of our history. I mean, Abraham Lincoln was a remarkable man. So the, the book is short. The chapters are very readable and they're also short. And each chapter tells a complete story of a particular chapter of our history. So when you get through the 200 pages of all 14 chapters, you are fully equipped to do battle with the enemy uh, that believes in the 1619 project or any of this other, excuse my language, but crap. You know, there is so much misinformation circulating as history that it's ridiculous. This, this book is accurate. It's all heavily footnoted. And it just tells a wonderful story. And the readers, you know, it's so wonderful to hear back from readers that 
they just were captured by it. They just, they couldn't put it down. <laughs> I, and as everyone said, I've read it more than once because it was so good. So uh, that's the story of the book, Rediscovering America. Thank you again, Scott Powell, for being on Core Principles. God bless you. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.